Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We are starting um, our 50th anniversary celebration right now, so that'll go uh, through November, and each week there'll be a different video like that that will show uh, kids can go back with Miss Whitney. Um, each week there'll be a video showing the different decades of the church, uh, going from the 1970s when the church was founded through present day, and I think it'll be a really cool time as we'll start a new sermon series next week to coincide with our 50th anniversary celebration. It'll be a great time. Oh, uh, Stacy also said that in the commons throughout this series, throughout the next few weeks, there'll be different um, artifacts. They're not that old, but it's like things, <laughs> things that you see in the video, like that sign and different uh, things that the church has held on to will be in the commons for y'all to go look at and look at our history. One of the things that I love about studying the history of even local communities is what is the DNA of this church? And like Miss Clapp said, uh, the DNA of this church is a missional heart. Nice. Um, that was my phone. <laughs> um, is the missional heart um, within this community of faith. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew again, Matthew 5 again, and we're going to be starting in Matthew 5, 9. It's going to be a long, long reading so hold on with me as we go through this long reading, all right? Starting in Matthew 5, starting in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> just kidding. It's just one verse today. Uh, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to be a peacemaker as we end our Shalom series and look ahead to what God has in store for this church and what does it mean for us as a community of faith to be peacemakers. We talked a bit last week about the importance of forgiveness and the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus, as John Wesley says, uh, the sum of true discipleship. It's Jesus sort of raising the bar of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be his disciple and follow him and live sacrificially? What does it mean to be a disciple and follower of Jesus? how it's often a costly call, a countercultural call. It's something that is very costly to be a follower of Christ. And we see that even in the start of the Sermon on the Mount with what's called the Beatitudes or the blessings or the things that make us happy. What does it mean to live the blessed and happy life? We see it starts off right in chapter 5, starting in verse 3. And Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount talking about what is it that are these values of the kingdom of God that he's teaching about. This kingdom that Jesus is bringing here on earth, what are the values of this kingdom? What we see in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in these first few verses, is that the values of the kingdom of God are so countercultural to the values of the world around them. You know, when you read kind of these qualities and you're looking for a leader, maybe in secular society or even a leader in the church or just kind of anyone that you think is worth following, these are not usually characteristics that you would use to describe someone you want, someone who's poor in spirit, someone who mourns, 
someone who's meek, someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, someone who's merciful or pure in heart, someone who's a peacemaker or someone who is persecuted. I mean, can you think of any politician that we seek after that has those qualities, or do we seek after a politician who mimics the qualities of the world? We see that in this Sermon on the Mount that the way and values of Jesus are so vastly different from the world that Jesus himself found himself in and also the values of the world that we find ourselves in. Consistently, as I read the Gospels over and over, the thing that just humbles me over and over again is this confrontation with Jesus that his way and his values seem to be so radically at odds with mine. And it's this constant dying to self, dying to the way of Christ, choosing to believe that God's way is better than my way, that God's values are higher than my values, and that I'm the one who's wrong, not Jesus. How subversive the way of the kingdom of God. And when we read these qualities that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, I think that our culture would look at someone who embodies all of these values as a a wimp and a loser, But in the kingdom of God, Jesus teaches us that these are the real treasure of the kingdom of God. These are the real values behind the world, that these are the blessed ones. These are the happy ones. Jesus is saying, this is what it means to live the good life, not to accrue a ton of money, but to be poor in spirit, to be persecuted, to be a peacemaker. This is the good life according to Jesus. You know, St. Jerome, uh, one of my favorite church fathers, uh, he wrote or he translated this, the Bible from Greek to Latin. That was kind of his name to fame. He said this about the Sermon on the Mount, that the Lord went up to the mountain that he might bring the crowds up with him to higher things. We see that starting in the Beatitudes, that Jesus is raising us up to higher things. He's raising what our values are to the things of God, not to the things of this world, that Jesus is saying, here is the blessed life, here is the happy life, here is the higher things of God that we should be seeking after and pursuing. And this verse in particular, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You know, throughout this series, we've been talking about the different aspects of peace, or we took the Hebrew word shalom, which is so much wider and deeper than often what our context or what the, the way that we talk about peace tends to be. We've been looking at how peace is so much greater than what we think of. We tend to think of peace as like a lack of hostilities. But in Scripture, it talks about this idea of peace being so much richer and deeper that it's about entering into the shalom of God. That we see when we read the book of Revelation and we see how things will one day be made right and everyone will live in community, perfect harmony with one another. It'll be like a wedding feast. This is the shalom of God that he is inviting us to enter into. When we read the prophets in the Old Testament, they talk about us entering into this shalom of God, this wholeness, this restoration. It's this repeated idea throughout the entirety of the Bible. It's about this wholeness. We read in the prophet Isaiah this image of shalom, of the lion laying down with the lamb. If you know anything about biology 101, 
You know, lion and lambs do not lie down together. They don't tolerate one another. The lion is always trying to eat the lamb. And notice that this idea of shalom with the lion and the lamb is so much deeper than what we tend to think of as peace. We would say, as long as we're not hostile to one another, that's good enough. But this painting of the picture in Isaiah is this image of a predator and prey lying down next to one another. It's not just that they don't tolerate one another. It's not just that they can be in the same room together. It's that they're laying next to each other, safe, secure, living in wholeness and reconciliation towards one another. That's this biblical idea of shalom. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the ones who do peace, who make peace, he's talking about this deeper peace of God and how we are to be the ones who seek out this peace of God and live into the fullness of what it means to be a peacemaker. We tend to think of peacemaker as someone who's like a a mediator, someone who kind of handles conflicts and is kind of like a third-party neutral person. Um, Erica was telling me when she was growing up, uh, she was the peacemaker of the family. And so what her mom meant by that is, I'm going to put you in the middle seat between your two brothers, and you will be the peacemaker between them. And when they start fighting and arguing with one another, you are the one who goes and makes peace with them. And I think that that's often what we think of when we think about a peacemaker, is someone who just uh, makes the conflict go away, makes the arguing stop. But being a peacemaker is much deeper than that, much richer than that, much more fulfilling than that. Being a peacemaker is someone who initiates to bring this shalom of God to those around them and brings and ushers in the kingdom of God with them, which brings the peace of God with them. Being a peacemaker is someone who ushers in the kingdom of God, the wholeness that God desires to bring, not just to us, but to our community, to our church, to our interpersonal relationships, who initiates and brings the fullness of what God desires for us. Even when we pray the Lord's Prayer, Lord, have it be on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Lord, help me be so transformed by your grace and mercy that I desire to bring your kingdom here to earth, that I want to make it look down here a bit like it is up there. And this is a deep and costly call to be a peacemaker, because being a peacemaker means that we aren't driven by our hostility. We aren't driven by our anger. We aren't driven by our bitterness or unforgiveness, and we don't let it fester deep within our soul. Rather, we are seeking the higher things of God. We don't let our passions control us, but we have a spirit that lets us control our passions. It calls us to take up our cross daily, to bring justice to those who need justice, to bring what we see and pray about into the reality of our world, to make it down here a little bit more like it is in heaven. That we pray and we look to God and we look to the heavenly places and we cry out, Lord, how can I be an agent of change here in this earth to make it a bit more down here like it is up there? Someone who, like the prophet Isaiah, when the Lord says, who am I going to send to my people? The prophet Isaiah cries out, here I am, send me. Send me into the world, Lord. 
This call to be a peacemaker is about living our lives differently from a world that seems to look for conflict around every corner. I mean, you can just see it all throughout social media or you just watch the news. I think social media reveals the nastiness of the human heart where we just use it to pour out our rage or our anger, where we react and respond from places that are of anger and bitterness and hatred and frustration. And oftentimes what the unfortunate thing is you see Christians respond just like the other people around us. And we're so often formed and shaped by the world we live in that we don't obey the call of Christ to be a peacemaker, that our social media presence seems to mimic the world and its way of operating, to be people who seek after conflict, who delight in conflict, who react out of anger, spite, and hatred. I mean, you know people like this, people who seem to revel in conflict, people who seem to thrive in it, not only thrive in it, but seek it out and seek to tear down rather than build up. But the message of Jesus the message of the Sermon on the Mount, the message that Jesus wants us to imitate, that the blessed life is the one who brings peace, the one who brings shalom into the world. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. That this is the call of God on our lives. John Chrysostom, one of the bishops of Constantinople, he writes this about this kind of deeper reality that Jesus is inviting us into. He writes, Here Jesus not only responds that they should not feud or become hateful to one another, but he is looking for something else and something more, that we bring together others who are feuding. And again, he promises a spiritual reward that they shall be called sons of God. For in fact, this was the crucial work of the only begotten, to bring together things divided and to reconcile the alienated. That being a peacemaker flows from a heart that has been radically transformed by the love of God. That when we look at what Jesus does for us on the cross, that when we look at the ministry and life of Jesus, we see that he is a God who reconciles us to God. He is a God who makes peace between us and God and who reconciles us to one another. And this is the ministry of Jesus himself, and we are called to emulate the ministry of Jesus. That when our hearts have been transformed by the love of God, we can't help but desire to bring his kingdom here on earth. You know, it's interesting when you read the Beatitudes that all the blessings seem to build on one another. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they need God. Blessed are those who know that they're not God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, 
a lot of church fathers interpret that to mean blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. That not only do these people know that they need God, but they desire more of the things of God. And blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. And then finally, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, that we know our need for God and we seek after God and we are transformed by God. And that means that we are then transformed in our habits and actions in the world that we live into. Being a peacemaker is about seeking this wholeness and fulfillment after we have seen the face of God and been transformed by him. John Wesley's comment on this, he says that, he proceeds, Jesus proceeds to show what they are to do, how inward holiness is to exert itself in our outward conversation. That for Jesus, it's essential that the way that we live our lives has been formed and shaped by encountering him, by being transformed deep within our soul, and that affects how we interact with those around us. And God's call to be a peacemaker, though, I think there's a difference between what I would say is a fake peace versus a real peace. That God calls us to bring real peace into the world, not a fake peace. It's interesting, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers in Matthew 5, 9, but just a few chapters later, he writes this, or he says this in Matthew 10, 34. I'm going to read through uh, 37. Jesus says, do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So you read that and you're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Didn't you just say, blessed are the peacemakers? And then just a little bit later, you say, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So how do we handle this seemingly contradiction? Um, I was reading about this kind of tension that exists within the text, and I ran across this quote from one of my dictionaries, and he writes this about this kind of tension. He says, not all the world's peace is truly peace. Jesus has not come to bring a false peace in which our outer quietness rules while storms rage within, but rather to cut clean as a sword the division between truth and falsehood, idolatry and true service to God. I think what this passage is getting at here is loyalty to Christ can lead to conflict. That loyalty to Christ leads to conflict. And we see this often if you uh, read about um, conversion stories in the Middle East, that when people over in Islamic countries convert to Christianity, it's not just that they are ostracized from their community of faith, they are literally cut off from their family, that their family refuses to talk to them anymore. It's as if they don't even exist. That this is sort of this... Um, peace that Jesus desires to bring is not this peace that's sort of shallow surface, but rather it's this peace that works through conflict to get through this kingdom peace. 
Because I think what Jesus is talking about here is I did not come to bring a surface-level peace. I did not come to make everything easy. I did not come for there to be a complete absence of conflict in this world. But rather, what I desire is to have you get through that conflict to the deeper shalom that exists on the other side, the deeper reconciliation, the deeper wholeness, the deeper unity within the kingdom. And this fake peace, I think we all kind of know what fake peace is like. Um, have you ever gotten into an argument with your spouse or your kid or your parent or a friend or a roommate, and then you find out just an hour later, oh, we have to sit down together and have dinner with one another. And you're both sitting at the dinner table, and it's real quiet. There's peace but you're both kind of seething underneath the surface, just like so angry at the other person that there's this peace that exists, but it's not real peace, is it? Because you still have that conflict, that disagreement, but you're at peace together. Or sometimes I hear parents say that the real time when you're worried about your kids isn't when they're being loud and boisterous in the other room, it's when they're suddenly quiet within the house. There's peace in the house, but you're worried what's really underneath the surface there. That this fake peace is this surface-level peace that's not dealing with root issues between brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, in Jesus' day, there was this thing called Pax Romana, which is, if you know anything about Roman history, it was the peace of Rome, that Rome had such a mighty military and had established such a vast empire that there was no longer military conflicts between nations anymore, that the peace of Rome was a type of fake peace. It was peace at the end of a Roman sword mandated by pure Roman military right, might, but the roots of anger between people groups or even the roots of anger between the people in Rome still existed. And it was only by sheer Roman military force that this peace existed. In fact, when there were rebellions that tried to rise up or disrupt this Roman peace, they were quickly quashed and crushed and destroyed. There's an ancient Roman saying, if you want peace, prepare for war. If you want peace, prepare for war. That's a kind of fake surface level peace, a peace through force, a peace that maybe in our own lives looks like, well, let's just not talk about it. Let's just pretend like the surface, that the, the roots behind our conflict aren't really there, and we'll just smile and play nice to one another. Fake peace is a type of peace where you see someone in the commons that uh, you have something against or you're in conflict with and you see them and rather than going towards them and talking to them, you say, you know what, this is a really big space. So let me just turn over here and pretend like they don't exist. We don't do that, do we? We don't just cover everything up or brush things under the rug. That's that kind of fake peace that I think Jesus is talking about. But this real peace the calling to be a peacemaker, the calling to be a shalom bringer, the calling to bring about the kingdom of God here on this world. This is the real peace that Jesus calls us to bring. It's a peace that doesn't brush things underneath the rug, but rather deals with them and confronts them and works through them. That conflict doesn't have to be antithetical to peace. That conflict can be the thing that we work through together to bring about the deeper shalom 
Because peace, if it's about this wholeness, if it's about bringing the kingdom of God here on earth, and that means that there's going to be conflict, like Jesus says in chapter 10. But if we're to be peacemakers, we work through that conflict to bring about the greater shalom of God. It's a peace that seeks about the betterment of others. And we can see these type of peacemakers throughout church history, and the, the men and women of God who are peacemakers in church history often are people in the heights of conflict in society. Men like William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade in England, who brought about this deeper shalom of God, who ended the evils of the slave trade, who worked through conflict in England to bring about the shalom of no more slavery in England. Or leaders in the temperance movement, the women of God who said that drinking all day and then going home and beating your wife and children is not of God. So we will do something about it and that practice must be stopped. That those are peacemakers who work through the conflict to get to a better ending. Leaders in the abolitionist movement in America who decried the evils and horror of slavery were peacemakers. Men like Martin Luther King Jr. who sought justice and equal rights for African Americans in this country was a peacemaker who sought to bring the greater shalom of God here to America and worked through the conflict to get to a greater Shalom. Peacemaking is about on earth as it is in heaven. It's not the avoidance of conflict, but rather working through it for the betterment of others. Um, and being conflict avoidant does not mean you're a peacemaker. I should know. I hate conflict. I am probably one of the most conflict avoidant people that I know of. And I would much rather sweep things underneath the rug, not deal with them, not confront them. Maybe if I just be quiet for a bit, the problems will just go away on their own. Uh, which is very difficult to do in a career that deals a lot with people. Because I don't know if you know this about people, people tend to not get along, even Christians. And so what I found in my vast two plus years of ministry experience <laughs> is that it's the end result is better when you deal with the conflict than sweeping it under the rug. That shalom is greater when you work through the issues. That being a peacemaker means not avoiding conflict, but it means going into the fire itself. And we find that doing so brings about the kingdom of God here on earth. Finally, being a peacemaker must be done from a place of love. Being a peacemaker must be done from a place of love. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Peacemakers who reflect the heart of the Father, who reflect the heart of the one who calls them to be a peacemaker because our character matters and why we do things matter. The inward disposition of our heart and the why we do things matter. And the Beatitudes, like I said, it builds on one another. It builds on someone who's been wrecked by uh, God and who is redeemed by God. It builds on one another until finally, after having this encounter with the Lord and being transformed by his love, then do we become peacemakers. If we seek peace, but we don't do it from a place of love, it becomes another form of Pax Romana, peace at the end of a Roman spear, peace through force because we're not valuing the other person we're seeking peace with. 
Now, when other people become objects through which we have to push through to get peace, we are not valuing them as created in the image of God. Rather, peace comes from this place of love, that we are seeking peace with someone. We are seeking to bring restoration with someone. My hope is that we can be peacemakers, which may seem a little ironic after all we've been through these past few months, doesn't it? Yet the call of Christ, the call of God in our lives doesn't change. Calls us to higher things, calls us to be agents of reconciliation, calls us to be people who do and have the hard conversations with one another to get to the shalom of Christ, to get to the kingdom building on the other side of conflict. My hope is that we can be people who seek the face of the Lord and say, Lord, how can I make it look like here in Kingwood? A little bit like it looks up there. Church, let us sow peace into the world. And as the writer James says in his, um, his book, those who sow peace will reap righteousness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, We'll be having our prayer partners up here during communion if you are in need of prayer. But as we come to the table this morning, we remember that our call to be a peacemaker is first from the God who is our great peacemaker the one who scripture says is reconciling all the world to himself. And one of the things that he reconciles is us to God. And we remember that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed to reconcile us to God, he took bread, broke it, said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whatever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink of it. Do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood so that we can have shalom with one another, so that we can be peacemakers with one another, so that we can make it look like down here a little bit what it looks like up there. So Jesus, come and pour your Holy Spirit out over us. Lord, bring fresh rain to our drenched souls. Help us bask in the beauty of who you are. As we say the prayer that your son taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.